is the business of the church? If somebody walked up to you and says, hey, what is the business of the church? How would you answer that question? How, how would you sit down and, and, and ask that? If maybe somebody says, hey, what is Calvary Severance all about? How would you answer that? I know a lot of people, they would argue that, that well, church is, we've got to care for our members. And, you know, we need to build this community and, I, and, and, and maybe provide counsel and comfort for people when they're going through struggles or maybe rejoice with people when, when things are going great. And I don't disagree with that at all. Absolutely. Those are good things about the church. Maybe, maybe you, would, you would argue, say, man, what, what Calvary Severance, the business of Calvary Severance is to have this great community where people can come and they can, they can feel welcomed and, and build friendships. And I hope, I hope if it's your first time here when you walked in the door that I hope a smiling face greeted you. If you didn't, you come see me because I want to shake your hand, probably give you a big old hug and tell you I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're here and I love you and I'm excited about that. But that is not the business of the church. Those are good things. They're important functions of the church, but they are not the business of the church. Here's the problem that, that we see so often. A lot of people fall into, a lot of churches fall into this pitfall of seeing churches as church business as maintenance. If you look at there, I titled this sermon, Mission Over Maintenance. And the problem is so often churches fall into this pitfall. We just don't maintain what we have. We've got a good thing going. Let's just keep it. Let's get this holy huddle going and let's protect what we have and, and hold on to this. And, and, and here's the problem with that. That is life draining. Churches die. They die because they fall into maintenance over mission. Let's protect, protect our little holy huddle of traditions. Got a good thing going. Let's not mess it up. We got a good thing doing. You know, we don't take any risks. It's dangerous to take risks. God doesn't call us to live a life of mediocrity. I believe that God calls us to take big, amazing, faith-filled risks for His glory and our joy. This is what we see here in the book of Acts. From the beginning of all of this, since the birth of the church, when the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles and they began to proclaim the gospel to the nations, beginning there in Jerusalem, and dispersion is happening in church, the church is growing, and people are coming to faith against all opposition. People are, the church is growing, and people, people are taking big, huge, faith-filled risks, facing death and imprisonment and all of these things, and they said, we're going to preach the gospel. I think about this, and I read, read here, and my heart hurts. And I get so much fear because I don't want to fall into this sense of maintenance as a church. There's a guy named Edwin McManus, he said this, I just found this quote. He said this, he says, we somehow think the church is here for us and we forget that we are the church and we are here for this world. So often churches, and I say churches, the people, believers, Christians, we get stuck in this maintenance mode of, of trying to hold on to some kind of tradition, worldly standards, 
just to maintain what we have. That's dangerous. And I'll be honest, it terrifies your elders. It terrifies us. It does me. And I know others would agree, it terrifies me to, to think that we would slip into the rut of maintenance. To simply maintain what we have. It's dangerous. Because the reality is, it's, it's simple maintenance. We're not called to maintain our church. Because here's the thing. I, I think when we fall into this ditch of maintenance, <laughs> it's kind of a reflection of our faith. Are we just maintaining our faith? Or are we growing in our faith? Dangerous. God commands His people all throughout Scripture. God commands us, He tells us to do things like this. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Run your race. Go. Do these things. Run your race. Work, do these things. This is mission and not maintenance. You're probably thinking, okay, we hear it. We got it, Josh. We got it. We don't want to fall into maintenance. We need to be mission. Well, what's the mission? What's the mission of the church? It's a mission. A lot of churches say it in different ways, but you could probably condense or dehydrate them all down to, to pretty much one thing. This is the way I like to say it. In my mind, in my heart, is to see, to savor, and to show, and to submit to satisfaction in God in all His glory. Let me say that again. To see, to savor, to show, and to submit in satisfaction in God in all His glory. You know what we say? You know what we say? We, decided, we say that we desire to make joyful, passionate disciples of Jesus that make Jesus non-ignorable in severance and to the ends of the earth. You can read it right over there. It's our mission. Now, I want you to see something here too that, that we have to notice that this has to, has to do with drawing attention, affection, and worship to God and God alone. Why is that? <laughs> well, a few reasons. Number one, because He is the only one that is worthy. The only one that is worthy of our affection, and our obedience, and our worship. That's what we sang. We cry to your holy God. This is the thing. Let me, let me just say something for just a second. Mark was up here. They were, they were practicing, and Mark does his Mark stuff here with all this I don't, I don't know if you guys know, there's unbelievable technology that happens up here on a Sunday morning. I have no idea what goes on. I know there's stuff in their ears that kind of tells them, and all this stuff is really amazing. I have no idea about that. And Mark was really working hard to get that stuff going this morning, and they were singing. They were singing that first song. And I looked at Mark, and I said, hey, Mark, Mark, do you believe what you're singing? He goes, yeah. Sing it like you believe it. This is what we saw this morning. They sung it like we believe it. Because did you guys find joy in that? You can say amen. It's okay. To sing and raise our hands because he's worthy. There's something about that when our affection is drawn to the holy God. There's something about that for, for us that have been redeemed and rescued. To, to, there's something good about that for us. There's joy. God gives us joy when our affections and we find satisfaction in God in all His glory. 
But we have to understand this. this it's our, it, we have to understand that it is about Him, our affections drawn to Him. But we have to know this too. Church is certainly for us, but it's very, very dangerous when we tread the ground when we make it about us. It's not about you. I think I told you guys a story. There was a lady that approached a pastor and she says, hey, I, I really like the sermon today. It was really good, but I didn't really, really like the music. It wasn't my style. And he told her, well, that's good because we were not singing to you. But honestly, think about that. You think about that. You think about the words. Do you ever meditate on the words that we sing on a Sunday morning? Every bit of that is, is meant to draw our attention and our affections to the creator of all things that has every right to condemn us to an eternity of his wrath. But yet he has redeemed us, called us his own, washed us clean, says, come to me, come to me. I have made you holy. You did nothing. I've done it all, and I want you to come and be in the good and gracious presence of me in all eternity. That is what we are to be about, to savor that, and we sing that. It's amazing. There's something joyful about that. It's not about us. It's about Him, but it is for us. The tendency of so many, because our hearts are very prone to wander away from God's glory, and to our own is to slip into maintenance and not mission. When we commit to make Jesus non-ignorable and severance at the ends of the earth, we are essentially, here's the thing. This is just one, one, one thing that, that churches fall into. I want you to think about this because this is what we see in the book of Acts. When we proclaim the gospel, we commit to make Jesus non-ignorable and severance at the end of the earth, we are picking a fight, a big one. A big fight with a very formidable opponent. When we begin to stand firm and draw affection and attention to God, we pick a fight with the evil one. And he is really good at his job. And we can't do it on our own. There's worldly attacks that want to destroy what the Lord is doing in and through his church. It goes to great lengths to do that, but praise God, God is greater, He's stronger. The war is won. When Jesus, when Jesus was on the cross, He said, it is finished. He's done it all, but it doesn't mean we don't have to fight. The fight is coming, but we can stand firm. When, when Jesus told Peter, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. That's a battle cry for mission right there. And not maintenance. And the mission is to make much of Jesus in all that we are. In all that we do. For His glory. And don't miss this. Do not miss this. Because this is what I think often we, we miss. It's for His glory and our joy. I often say good. But I, I got to thinking about that. It's for our joy, our joy. So often we lose this part of joy and we sink into this ho-hum of Christianity that when I can't find joy, God gives us great joy in redeeming us. 
but the war's got to be fought. So here's the big question. Here's the big question. I'm going to read our passage. I promise I am. Promise. I'll tell you, I'm excited about this. Just, this is my lifeblood right here we're going to talk about. Here's the big question. How are we to be about our mission and do it effectively? How are we to do that? There, there's three things that I want us to see in 12 verses. 12 verses in Acts 13 this morning. So let's read God's word. Acts 13, 1 through 12. You got your Bibles open? All right. Praise God for that. If you need a Bible, there's one around you. You can keep it. It's yours. We want you to take it. It does no good sitting on that, that seat there. Acts 13, starting verse 1. one. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Serene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Remember Saul? You guys remember Saul? Right? Who's Paul? While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. That's important. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. See this partnership? These guys are working together for God's growth, the growth of His church. They're working together, brothers laboring alongside each other. Verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius uh, Paulus, a man of intelligence who, was summoned, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainly, villainly, villainy. Yes, that's it. Yes. I'm getting old, so I'm like doing my Bible like this to be able to see the words. If I pull my glasses off, that, that's it. So, all right. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Now, check this out. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Amen, amen. Let's pray this morning. Father in heaven, holy is your name. God, thank you for allowing us to gather and sing praises to you and pray and open your word, Father. Thank you for the direction that you give us to be who you've called us to be as your church. And Father, my heart is that you would draw us to you. Father, I pray that you would help us to see every person here, to see the goodness of who you are. To not be caught up in the junk of the world that promises big and delivers so small. Father, I pray that you would draw our hearts to you. You're the creator of all things. The one that spoke everything into being. That gives us all things. You are the, the author and giver of hope. Father, I pray that you would help us to stand on that. Help us to be, be on mission. 
for the glory of your name and our joy. God, this just, my heart hurts for those that are seeking for joy in things other than you because it's not found. Father, I pray that you would, you would give us your joy today to be who you've called us to be. Help us to see the direction that you give us for your church. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I love our church. And I told you, I'm, I'm, my heart's just, I'm, I'm, I'm about to pop up here just to talking about this this morning because I, I went to our men's retreat uh, this past weekend. Actually, some of those guys are still there. Uh, they're, they're sitting around God's Word right now as we speak, and, and they're talking about all this. And I was, I was driving over there. It's a four-hour drive, and I was just praying and thinking. I was driving back yesterday. I knew I had to preach this morning. I was thinking about just all the things that God allows us to do. And one of the things the guys asked the other night, it was Friday night, we're sitting around there in this cabin, way up in the mountains, we've been fly fishing, I caught more fish than everybody, make sure those guys know that. Anyway, we were sitting there talking, and, and one of the guys asked, hey man, what? tell me something that's just, just so good about what God's doing. And man, I was just overwhelmed because I got to thinking about it. I go, for me, this is a dream job. This is an absolute dream. Yeah, we meet in a school. The acoustics are horrible. Chairs are uncomfortable. we got new ones in the back now. Praise God for that. But you think about this. I said, this is an unbelievable, it's a joy for me. I pastored a church in East Texas, but the cool thing is, is we moved here and God's building this community. I think of all the things that are going. We have men going on a men's retreat. Our women met yesterday morning, gathered to prayer and to fellowship with one another. Our kids were at camp Learning, did you hear what they said this morning? Kids are saying, I learned that I need to be sharing the gospel. Yes! I, I know that I could be praying for people and prayer has power. Yes! I think about all of these things that are happening. Our students are going to camp next week, and I've been praying for them too of how God's going to work in their lives. And I think about our men's Bible study and all of our life groups. We have nine life groups. Amen, somebody. That is amazing where we're building community and people are being discipled. I go to the coffee shop almost every morning at Coffee House 29. You know what I see there? Every time I walk in there, people from our church, Bibles open. Discipling one another. And I'm thinking, this is a dream job for me. Because people are are learning and knowing who Jesus is and learning to follow. They know what it is to be saved. And, and people are going on mission. We're talking about mission trips. My, my family is leaving on the 15th to go to Greece for 10 days with Jaime. Pray for me. For 10 days, we get to share the gospel with refugees that have come from all over the world. And I'm thinking, this, God, I don't deserve this. I get to sit every Friday morning with our elders and our deacons, and we get to share what God is doing in our church and, and pray for you. And I'm thinking, I don't deserve this. This is so good. It's so good. But I think maybe some, sometimes, maybe, maybe we miss a little bit of, of what, is, what is at the core of who we are as a church. And this is what we want to talk about. And we see this here. Well, that's why we're specifically going through the book of Acts. You just got to see, when you, I encourage you to read back through the book of Acts and you see the church is born. Christ is risen. He went, to the he went to the cross and to the grave. He rose again 40 days with his disciples. He, then he ascended into heaven. But he, before he did, he gave instruction to his disciples, his people, the ones that he had redeemed. He says, go and proclaim the gospel to all creation. Go, share the gospel. Build my church. And we see this. 
And he tells them, behold, I'm with you till the end of the age. Don't worry about those things. I will build my church. Just go and do these things. You're going to have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world is what Jesus says. And church, we've got to hold on to that. What we see here is in, in, in Acts, the first part, we've seen the birth of the church in Jerusalem. There's no doubt that there's been some troubles and persecution, but it's amazing to see how God has, has used even the evil intentions of man to grow his kingdom. I mean, read through it. I'll read this, some of these things. Man, I don't know if I would hold up to that. You're going to throw me in prison, in chains? I don't know. But God is empowering his people for the glory of his name and our joy. We see people following his direction on just how to carry out this mission. What we see here in chapter 13, and through the rest of most of the book, we see the, the church growing exponentially. Not just to the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles through Paul's ministry. It's kind of this transition from, from Peter to Paul. And Paul is, most of the rest of Acts is, is focused on Paul's ministry. The gospel is proclaimed, and Paul goes on these mission trips and all. And what we see in these 12 verses is a picture of God's design for His church is just a few elements of it that enable it to carry out its mission successfully. And I just want to highlight those this morning. There are three components that I want us to draw our attention to that we, Calvary Severance, we strive for. It's our DNA. It is our DNA. And I know this, this church is not for everyone. It's not. I, I, I wish it was, but it's not. And I'm okay with it. Actually, I don't wish it was. There are other faithful leaders that can go and lead so much better than I can. But, but I want you to know, this is, this is what runs through the lifeblood of our church. And we will press, press into this as much as we can. I will, we will charge into this. I will, we will challenge this over and over and over and over again. It's constantly a, a topic of conversation and mission of who we are as a church. These, these, mainly these three things. Here's the first one. Equipping the saints for mission, not maintenance. Equipping people for mission and not maintenance. Chapter 13 opens with, with these prophets and teachers at the church in Antioch. Luke, in, in, in the book of Acts, he names five men who were leaders of this congregation. These, these prophets and teachers were the ones that were responsible for preaching and teaching God's word faithfully to the people and instructing the people on how to follow Jesus. There's five of them, and I don't, I don't think that's by mistake. It says prophets and all, and, and on occasion here, they, they did receive a new revelation from God. You can see this in Acts eleven twenty eight and Acts 21, verses 10 and 11. We're not going to talk about that this morning. I don't have time. But what we have is God's Word in the canon of Scripture here, and, and, and we, need to, we, we have all of this contained in God's Word here. And we're going to talk more about that here in just a moment. But what we see here, this is what I want to focus on for this one, equipping the saints for the mission. Here's where I want to start. We see a plurality of leadership. A plurality of leadership. This is God's design for a church to have a plurality of leaders. A plurality of elders. We have three. I'm just one. We have deacons that serve along 
with us. And we've kind of orchestrated this where we have elders and deacons and we complement each other. In fact, our roles somewhat overlap. Uh, your elders are heavy on preaching and teaching and shepherding and our deacons are heavy on the physical serving of the church. I've preached this message before, but those overlap. Remember Stephen? You guys remember Stephen? We talked about Stephen here, not Stephen Pettypool, one of our deacons, but Stephen in the Bible in Acts. I told him I want deacons like that that will die sharing the gospel. Your elders should too. We should too. But we see this design that there's a plurality of leadership. So when we have these guys, these elders, that's why we, I am not just the pastor preacher of your church. We have Brett and Jesson. Guess what? Those guys are my pastors. And they know it. I submit to their authority because they are my pastors. And they're your pastors, just like I am your pastor. This is God's design here. These are, these are God-called. When we see these five men, they're God-called men, church-affirmed men. This is why we believe that God has called myself and Brett and Jess and even our deacons. And, and you affirm them as a church, empowered by the Spirit to lead and teach and shepherd. In 2 Timothy that's what it says. I got a lot to say this morning. I'm, I'm no, I know I'm talking fast. My wife's going to tell me, you spoke way too fast today. I just got a lot of stuff to cover. You guys, hang on. You can, you can listen to the sermon later and slow it down if you need to. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5 says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Repuve, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people not endure sound teaching, but they will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I cannot do that alone. I need these men to hold me to that. And guess what? They need me to hold them to that as well. We see this all throughout Scripture, this plurality of elders in churches, Acts, and all throughout Acts. Read 1 Timothy, read Titus, read James, read 1 Peter. All throughout the New Testament, what we see is a plurality of elders and leaders in the church. And the reason is, here's the reason. Praise God for this. Number one, I believe, is for accountability. I don't know if you've been keeping up with what was going on in the SBC. We are an SBC church, but, but here be this. I'll talk to you about it later, but the SBC is a very broad umbrella. But there was some ugly stuff that came out. Praise God that we have a plurality of leadership, that they have not just the permission, but they have the authority to, that, that we as elders, we hold each other accountable to God's word. You see this accountability to stay on mission of making much of Jesus. It's a safeguard that God has put in place for protection of his children, of his flock, his bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ because we are still in the flesh. Can I be honest with you? I will fail you. I will disappoint you. And I'm sorry. It is not my intention not my intention at all. And I ask that you forgive me. And the reason, the reason I will fail you is because I am but human. I'm not perfect. And neither are you. 
And I need, we need other leaders that speak truth into one another to lead and to shepherd. And this is why we have a plurality of leadership here. Our purpose, here's our purpose as leaders, is to equip equip you to make much of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. He says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Check this out. Here's where you come in. To equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Our job is to equip you to do what God has called you to do. We do this by preaching the word and using the word to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with patience. With patience. Somebody comes to me and says, hey, Josh, I don't understand this. Normally what we do is say, hey, well, what does the Bible say? Let's just look at that. We can't go wrong with that. I want you to know this too. I and I believe our church have a deep, deep passion for developing and leading others to be leaders. I love it. I love it. I want you to know this. My job as your pastor is not simply to preach, and I love to preach. I love preparing. I love preaching. Love it. I'm not, I don't think I'm that great at it, but I love it. But my job is not simply to just preach on Sundays, visit you when you're sick, officiate your funeral or your wedding. It's not my job. It's part of it, but it's not my job. My job is to equip the saints for ministry. It's my job. My, my job is to say, hey, I see something in you. I think maybe you could preach. I think maybe you could lead this. Hey, maybe, maybe you're gifted in, in setting up or overseeing our setup and teardown ministry. It's my job is to do those things. My job is to shepherd you and care for you. And oftentimes my job is saying, hey, I don't need to preach this Sunday. You need to preach this Sunday. In the coming weeks and, and months, you will see more of that. Men that I believe that God is working to lead and to shepherd. Here's the thing. This is my job. My job is to equip the saints for ministry, whether it be preaching, teaching, evangelism, parenting, marriage, or stewardship, or whatever it is. My job is to say, hey, what does God have for you? And how can we grow that? So you don't slip into a sense of maintenance that you are on mission. How are you to know and learn without someone leading and teaching? I look at it this way. How in the world are you going to know that this is your gifting if you're not given the opportunity to try? I grew up in a church and was at a church for a long time. When the pastor left, he always called somebody from outside to preach. And I thought, why is that? Well, the reason was is he had equipped no one lead that's maintenance it's not mission my fear is we we not be that I don't want for us to be that I want you to look at these guys especially Paul in our text who was Saul preparing for this you see these five guys verse 1 Somebody had to equip them. Somebody had to teach them. Somebody had to lead them. Luke, Luke specifically included Paul here because he wanted to affirm Paul's calling and ability to lead. Now, remember where Paul was not too long ago when we were studying through Acts? He's persecuting the church. 
But he was taught, he was brought up, he was equipped to do that by men that loved him, cared for him, and brought him along. We have to understand, it's important for us to understand that it is God who equips every believer to be on mission of the church, but it is the church's responsibility to put them to work and help find out what that is. Church, this is a call to mission, not maintenance. Listen to what 1 Corinthians, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. Verses 12 through 20, he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though may many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but, as, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I not, do not belong to the body, well, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell, where, where would be the sense of smell? But, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Look at me with your face. This is a look at me with your face moment. You are needed here. And when I say here, I mean, you. if you are a believer in Jesus, if God has called you to salvation, He has something as mission for you to do. Your job as a Christian is not to sign a card, pray a prayer, get baptized, and sit in a chair for the rest of your Christian walk. It's not. It's boring. God doesn't call us to that. He calls us to, to challenge Him, to question Him, to seek Him. God, what do you have for me? You may be the best chair setup ministry director we've ever had. Or you could be our next church planter. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Because this is, this is what it means you're needed. I need you. Brett and Jessen need you. Tim and Stephen, we need you. you. Look around. The people around you need you to be on mission. But the problem is, is so many, so many are comfortable not being challenged or pushed out of, the, out of their comfort zone because growing and strengthening is uncomfortable. God doesn't call us to maintenance, but He calls us to mission. Here's the second reason he calls us to mission because he sends us on mission. This is the second thing I want to talk about. Sending the saints on mission. Look at verses 2 and 3. You see the Holy Spirit ordered them to send out these equipped men. men. Saul and Barnabas. Go and share the gospel. Notice that the Spirit said that he had worked for them. This is God saying, God saying, I got something for you. I got work I want you to do. I got work for you. This isn't your pastor saying, hey, I got work for you to do. This is God. What is God calling you to? This is what we see here. God called these men. It was not their idea of work, but it was God's plan and purpose. They fasted and they prayed and they laid hands on them. The thing is so beautiful we see here. God confirmed to them, send these men out. But it's the love, how the devotion they had to these men. They fasted and they prayed. They sought the Lord's face and what they were to do with these men. How do we send them out? Where are they to go? 
all of these things. What, what are we to do with these men? We know we're supposed to send them out, but God, you got to help make things clear. And the beautiful thing is, is, man, they got on their knees and they prayed and they sought God's direction and then said God gave it to them. The Spirit commanded them and they sent them off. It means that they, they sought confirmation, they sought guidance, they sought protection. They sent, sought, sought these things from God before they sent them out and they didn't do it hastily. They laid hands on them. And I believe that that is so beautiful. And I think this is just very symbolic of affirming that calling to go. They laid hands on them. It's also symbolic, I think, of, of sending a piece of them with us. Jake and Julie, I saw them Friday. I had breakfast with them. And it was just so good to sit and talk with them. But you guys remember their last Sunday we were here? So many of us just gathered around them. We put our hands on them. We just prayed on them. That's good. It's almost like we're sending a piece of us with them. And you know what we did? We did send a piece of us with them. I sat with them on Friday morning over breakfast there in what Jake calls BV. It's Buena Vista. And we're eating breakfast, and I said, how are things going? And they're just talking about, man, we, we love what God was doing there at Calvary Severance. And I'm at what God was doing, and we want so much of that here. And they are striving for that already. Jake told me about this guy that went to a concert in the park, and there was this guy, he goes, you could tell this guy had been living out of his car for a year. But he was sitting over there by himself, and you guys know Jake. Jake will talk to anybody, and Jake and Julie go over, and sit. Jake sits down by this guy and begins to talk to him. He said immediately the conversation went to a spiritual conversation. And he goes, it's so cool because I got to share the gospel with this guy. This guy said, he goes, you know, I'm just traveling around, and I'm just trying to find where my spirit needs to rest. And Jake goes, well, I can tell you. And he had a, a spiritual conversation, shared with him who Jesus is, and they connected. The beautiful thing this, this is, sending the saints on mission, this extension of the ministry that God has. This is what we see here. That God is sending these guys out as an extension of the ministry. This is what multiplication is all about. It's not addition, it's multiplication. Here's the truth. Here's the truth that we need to lean into. We are to do the same as we see here. We're to seek the Lord's direction and who we are to send and how we are to send them. I want you to notice that it, was, that it was God's work that he had for them to do. It wasn't their own. To avoid the maintenance aspect, we need to constantly be reminded that God's kingdom is so much bigger than Calvary Severance. It's so much bigger than the Calvary family of churches. God's kingdom is even bigger than this world. Because all authority in heaven, under heaven and earth is His. We need to think that way, church. We need to think that way. We need to constantly see how God will use us for His glory to make Jesus non-ignorable and severance and to the ends of the earth. How often do we really ask that question? How are we making Jesus non-ignorable and severance and to the ends of the earth? We think about that. I, like, I love what we see here. You have to understand this too, because here's the foundation of it. These men were called to salvation first. God saved them and rescued them. God showed them that they were sinners, that they had offended a holy and righteous God, and what they deserved was God's wrath, but God had mercy upon them. He showed them their sin, but also showed them the grace of God through Christ Jesus, who had died and rose again for them. And that's what you need to believe. How can you be on mission if you don't even understand the mission? That's the mission. 
We need to constantly see how God will use us for His glory. These men were called, they were trained, and they were equipped in the church body and called to go and proclaim the gospel. And they were supported. They were sent by the church. And this plan or formula has not changed at all. God saves people through faithful sharing and preaching and teaching and support. God saves people through that. He does that through the preaching and teaching of the gospel. People are discipled in the body of Christ. And God calls people to go and the church sins. Why? Why? Because God is not finished. He's not done yet. Christ hasn't come yet. He's not finished. He's not finished with the work of manifesting His glory by redeeming people. heart gets so heavy because there are people that I know and that you know that are far from the Lord and hell is their destiny hell is their destiny and God has given us the means and empowered us to go and give them what gives joy and hope. God is not done redeeming lost people. I've said this before. The church is to be about the unfinished work of Jesus by preaching and teaching the finished work of Jesus. Let me say that again. The church is to be about the unfinished work of Jesus by preaching and teaching the finished work of Jesus. Here's what that means. Here's what that means. God is still redeeming lost people. But everything needed to accomplish that, Jesus did on the cross. That's the gospel. And our job is to go and share that truth. That's why you hear it here every Sunday. I would say most of us are believers here, but I would be very naive to think that, you're, that there are some that are not. There are probably some here that think they're Christians, but they're not. They're far from the Lord. Jesus doesn't sit on the throne of their heart. And, and I pray this is why we share the gospel every Sunday, that you need Jesus. You're chasing after something that you think will give you hope and joy that is of this world, and it leads to death and destruction. Only Christ and Christ alone saves, and He gives joy. So why we preach and teach the gospel, because God is still at work. Listen to Mark 16, 15 and 16. He said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Did you get that? Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Look at Romans 10, 13 through 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Submission to the church. Everyone, we want that. We want people to call on the name of the Lord. So they're saved. They put their faith in Jesus. But look at verse 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. We're to be a church that equips 
the saints and sends the saints for the glory of God and the joy of his people. Here's what that looks like for us as church. I asked a question a few about a month or two ago, and I've gotten very few responses. And I'm going to ask it again because I want to hear from you. But I'm going to share. I asked this question. I said, if, if, if resources was not a factor, not counting that, but the only guardrails we had to answer this question is our vision and mission and core commitments. That's it. What is one big thing, that I want you to pray about this, what is one big thing that you would love to see our church do? Crazy. And I, I said, I want crazy. And I've asked our staff that. At every staff meeting, I look at them and go, not crazy enough. We can do that. I want to hear stuff that I want to, when I sit down across from you and you tell me, I go, that's crazy right there. And here's the why. It, here's, here's the reason I asked that question because I want us to not get in the rut of maintenance of thinking this is how we have to do everything because everybody else does it this way. I'm not saying they're doing it wrong, but when have we, we stepped out on faith and done big things? Here's, here's a couple of the things. Here's, here's a couple of the things, and I think these are worthy things. First one is this, came from Brett. Brett says, I want to see every person that calls Calvary Severance home in a discipleship group. Whether it be a life group, a morning Bible study, or two, one on two or three or four people gathering together to study God's word at least every other week. We're going to push that. I'm going to challenge you to do that. You need to find a life group. There's one this afternoon, right, Ben? At his house. There'll be one. There'll be three tomorrow. Three all throughout the week, women's Bible study, men's Bible study, discipleship groups. That, well, that's the first thing. Here's, here's the second thing. It's the second thing. I had this conversation with folks. This is this. Challenge every person that calls Calvary Severance home to engage in a mission trip this year. That's big. Guess what? We're working on it. It won't be one single trip. We're planning about four trips. And we're going to challenge you, so you know it's coming over the next year. We're going to challenge you to engage in a mission trip to go and serve somewhere else. It's in the works. Here's the third one. This one's mine. We're going to lay the groundwork to plant a church in the next year. You're thinking, well, Josh, we meet in a school. Yep, sure do. How are we going to do this? God's already working. We're already starting conversations with people. And here's the thing. I'm going to ask some of you to go. I'm going to ask you to leave our church. Not because I don't like you or you give me a headache. It's not it. No, there's a community that needs you. And specifically, I want you to pray about this. I want to plant a church in Eaton. God has laid it on our heart to plant a church in Eaton, and we're going to ask some of you to go, to be on that. We're not just sending one guy. We're sending, I want to send a team of people because the gospel needs to be there. Yeah, there's churches in Eaton, but there are lost people in Eaton. Those are three big things we want to do. So be praying about those things. This is what it looks like for us. I know I'm going, i got another point to, to go here. Bear with me. Let's get on. Let's move on with this. This is where we're going. This is sending. Here's the thing. I want to send you to be missional. That's part of it. So be looking for that. I may ask you to, to step up and lead in areas. Maybe be one of our leaders. We have two, we want two of these guys to lead in our setup and teardown. We just need help with that. 
There's a handful of people that make all of this happen every Sunday. We could use your help, hands and feet and ears and eyes, remember? We could use your help every Sunday morning doing this, setting all of this up. Your neighbor needs you to share the gospel with them too. A life group needs your input and your community there as well. There are people in this church that would love, that maybe they don't even know it yet, but they would love to meet you once or every other week to sit down and pray together and do life together and study God's word together. Reality of missions over maintenance. I know I'm going long. Bear with me. This is heavy on my heart. I just love this stuff. The reality of missions over maintenance. Just verses 4 through 12. These guys are sent out. Things are going really good, and then what happens? They meet this guy that kind of tries to throw a wrench into things. We see that Paul and Barnabas are sent out. They go preaching and teaching. God is redeeming people for his glory and their joy. But then along comes some trouble. Here's this guy named Bar-Jesus or uh, Elymas who was doing his best to oppose them and draw the proconsul away from the faith. Here's this guy that said, don't listen to them. This false prophet, he's coming in and trying to change things up to draw them away from seeking and savoring and teaching and enjoying the goodness and the glory of God. Now look at how Paul and Barnabas handle this. They could have gotten quiet. They could have gotten complacent. They could have said, well, that's what you believe, so no, we just won't worry about it. That's not what they did, is it? Look at what they did. They didn't stop. They didn't stop preaching. They didn't ignore this guy. They stood up to him. They, and I'm not saying go pick a fight with somebody that disagrees with you. What I'm saying is stand on truth. Stand for truth. They didn't stop preaching. They, they couldn't. They couldn't. Do you know why? They're on mission. <laughs> and the mission doesn't fail. This, they couldn't stop because this guy, what if they had allowed him to continue to be detrimental to the mission? Instead, he stands firm on the truth of God's word as he was empowered by the Spirit. He didn't get soft. Notice that. He didn't get soft. And he didn't compromise truth. He stood his ground armed with the spiritual tools that God had given him to be on mission. He could have easily slipped into this maintenance mode. Let me just protect what I got here. But he didn't. He took an offensive position. He faced this guy. God didn't call him to maintain what was there, but to be on mission to grow God's kingdom. And he was armed to go to battle. This is the beautiful thing. It's kind of building on things. They're equipped. They're sent. And, and here it is. They're putting all of that to work. Not simply be defensive, but God calls us to be offensive. Guys, things haven't changed much at all for Christ Church. There's elements everywhere doing their best to tear down and oppose and distort or make crooked the mission of the church and deter people from embracing and seeing and savoring the glory of God. People that compromise the truth, embrace things that God calls evil. Come in all shapes and forms. The biggest thing now is the woke church, a progressive Christianity. Can I just warn you as your pastor, it's not Christianity. It's not Christianity. It will lead you astray. It's dark. 
It's damaging. And I stand here and tell you this with absolute love and grace. It is dangerous for you. God has given us what we need here. Just If we just read the book. Just read the book. People say, well, I don't think God would say that or do that. He said it. Just read the book. And it, the thing is, this is for His glory and our joy that He says these things. Here's another thing that often happens. We fall in this trap of being nearsighted, not seeing the need for, for lovingly standing firm in the truth of biblical marriage or biblical parenting or even a biblical worldview. We have this subconscious idea that, that we're okay being minimal. I give the band, that dude's long-winded, but I give him my hour and a half on a Sunday. Don't give me anything. You don't owe me anything. You owe everything to Christ. Being minimal for the Lord is boring. We have to realize that God has called us to battle. A battle to a war that God has already won. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Listen to it. Be strong in the Lord. Don't be strong in yourself. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Let me say that again. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Listen to what he says in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be, be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a war raging around us right now. For your heart, the hearts of your kids, the hearts of your neighbors, the hearts of your co-workers, there's a war raging right now and doing everything that it can to draw those things away from the glory of the Lord. And the, you know what the enemy does? The enemy loves to lull us into thinking that we are not at war. That we're not at war. Turn on the TV. It's just a constant bombardment of accept these things, accept these things, accept these things. They're dangerous. And it just wears us down. We are to be strong in the Lord and His might. If you keep reading in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 17, Paul says this. Well, how, do we, how do we stand firm in this? Listen to, what, listen to what Paul tells us here. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the, the, in the evil day. And having done all, stand firm. Stand firm. And after you've done everything, oh yeah, stand firm. This is what he says. He goes, don't sit down. Stand firm. He says, stand up. Stand firm. This is what he's saying. I know you're wearing your type. Stand firm. I know everything else is telling you, hey, compromise this or compromise that. It's wearing it. Stand firm. After you've done everything, stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. This belt of truth. We have this truth. If I had time, I would run through this police analogy. I was a cop for 20 years, and it's such a cool analogy, but I don't have time. Uh, maybe that's a sermon for another day. What you see is, but this belt of truth around us, keep it here. These tools are handy. They're at hand, right here at arm's length. It's right here. And then he says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's because Christ's righteousness that protects our heart. When he saves us, he makes our evil heart new. 
Changes it from stone to flesh. He gives us our heart is evil. But it's Christ, when he saves us, he changes that. And he says, put on his righteousness to protect that. Then he says, listen to this, shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given of the gospel of peace. You know what he's saying here? Hey, put shoes on. Go to work. Take the gospel with you when you leave in the morning. When you put your shoes on, remember the gospel is going with you. Take it with you. And then he says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. The evil one's coming. You have your faith. Of all things, when the evil one attacks you, you have your faith that holds you and protects you. It deters those things, those, those darts of the evil and those flaming arrows. And take the helmet of salvation. Protect your mind, your gods. You belong to him. You belong to him. Remind yourself, it needs, to, it needs to wrestle and settle up here because it filters to our hearts. And here's the last one. I know I'm going long, but I have to push this home. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This. God wrote a book. I say this all the time. He wrote a book. He wrote a book for all of this. I mean, all of this I'm talking about is here. I go, how do I love my wife? Read the book. How do I parent my kids? Read the book. Where should I work? Read the book. How should I live my life? Read the book. How, what should I do with my money and my possessions? Read the book. It's here. God tells us all of this. How do we fight this fight? How do we go to war? We read the manual. It's not a manual. It's truth for us. We read the book and do what the book says. It tells us who God is and who we are and how we are to respond to all of this. This is what he tells us. This is the, the which is just the sword of the Spirit. And you know this? This is the only offensive piece of our armor. Everything else is defensive. This is your sword. only offensive weapon that we have to go to battle and it is powerful it is authoritative and it is sufficient I was visiting with a guy about this very sermon this past week and I was talking about the word and I go man just love the word it's inerrant he goes but don't forget that it is sufficient it's sufficient and we do well to use it I'm going to leave you with this. i got a few questions here in just a moment. But I'm going to leave you with this. 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power. Listen to this. Christian, I want you to hear this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, but which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. God gives us everything we need for His glory and our joy. And I want you to know this, that Jesus came to set captives free from the bondage and the penalty of sin. And the thing is, is there's so many that don't even know that they're in bondage. Probably some here today that are in bondage. They don't even know it. But what they need to know is this truth. Because of sin, we are enslaved to it. 
and we're separated from the goodness of God. But because of God, because God is who He is, He saves and He does it does so through the sacrifice of Himself that Jesus came and He came to live the life that we never could, to die the death that we deserve, to incur the wrath that we deserve, but He overcame eternal death for us. Let me ask you something. Just another look at me with your face. Do you believe that? I share that every week, almost word for word. Do you believe it? We believe it, man. It is powerful that we deserve God's wrath, but He has saved us in this amazing way by giving of Himself. It's good news. It's good news. The news that should infiltrate every aspect of our lives. It is, it is news that our broken and fallen world desperately needs because it is the only, only news that saves. It's a gift that is meant to be shared. It's commanded to be shared. This is the business of the church. It is mission, not maintenance. If you look on your worship guide, there's four questions. I'm going to add one at the end. Here's the first one. Do you know and trust Jesus to be on mission? Here's what I mean by that. Do you know and trust Jesus enough to be obedient, to be on mission? Do you know Him? Do you trust in Him? Do you believe what I just asked? And if so, you need to be on mission. Here's the second one. Where are areas of your life that you are maintaining and not being missional? Man, that's a conversation for dinner, isn't it? How can you be better equipped to be on mission for the Lord? What do you need? Oh, I love it when people come to me and go, Josh, I, I'm just trying to figure this out. I, I don't know how to do this. Whoo, that's dangerous to ask me that question. There's some here that have asked that before. Like, whoo. But I love that. What, how can we better equip you? This is a question we often ask. How can we, what do you need to be better equipped to be on mission for the Lord? It's my job to help in that. Here's the fourth one. What are areas of your life that you need God's given armor and to take a stand for His glory? Where are areas of your life that you're not protecting your mind or your heart? You're not picking up God's Word. Where is that? That's another good conversation over dinner. And I'm going to leave you with this one. And I'm going to pray. What is keeping you from embracing the mission of the Lord? What's keeping you? What is keeping you from embracing the mission that God is giving you? It may be just, you just need to repent and confess your faith in Jesus. To trust in Him for His glory and your joy. Maybe that's it. That's because all of this other stuff doesn't mean anything if you're not there. Maybe it's you need to reevaluate things in your life. Going, man, this, this thing here is sitting on the throne of my heart and not Jesus. Because here's, I was thinking about this this morning, and I'll leave you with this. You're on mission. Every one of us is on mission to glorify something. The problem is, it may not be Jesus. And 
that's a problem. My prayer is that, man, God would just, by His grace, this is what God does, by His grace. And I don't want you to walk out of here in shame. I want you to walk out of here with joy of going, man, God's grace is so good. So good. He covers that. He covers those things where we mess up and we allow other things to sit on the throne of our hearts. It's His grace by that conviction. So what is it? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for our church. I thank you just for the unbelievable opportunity that I have just to to be here, to love our people, to share the truth. God, and my prayer is that you, you would strengthen us to be on mission, Lord. God, I pray that you would continue just to ring us out. I pray that you would convict us in areas where we get complacent and we rob you of glory that is due you, whether it's in our marriage or our parenting, our work, our resources. Father, I pray that you would, by your grace, that you would convict us of those things and you would move those things out of the way so that we would use them for your glory and our joy. So Father, help us to not be a church that would slip into maintenance, but God, help us to be not just a church, but Christians, followers of Jesus that are on mission, that are fearless, fearless for your glory and the joy of us and others. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name that we pray.